Like when I'm breathing, I'm present. Yeah. And I'm connected to myself, which means I have the capacity to connect to others. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Howie, how are you? Hey, pretty good. It's a beautiful spot here. Yes, it's really nice. This was a great uh, idea of yours to take it out on the road and um, be right next to the beautiful Eno River here in North Carolina, just uh, five minutes from my house. Nice. So we've, we've been chatting a little bit before the recording about how you've been uh, coping over the last uh, couple of months. We've, uh, we've only kind of chatted intermittently and hadn't had much of a chance to meet up in person. So how are you holding up this yeah. week? Yeah, cope, coping is a kind word. Okay. For it, um, absolutely seeing the, you know, the gaps in in my emotional and mental state when I neglect parts of my physicality. Yeah. So I've been staying in shape. Yeah. I've been running. I was doing a lot of push-ups for a time, mm. um, but it was all it was all fairly comfortable, right? There wasn't uh, like getting punched. Yeah. Get, and I find myself now like we'll sit out in the in an, of an evening and like two mosquito bites. I'm like I'm going in. Yeah. Yeah. Like my tolerance for discomfort is, is really low, I think, because there's so much of it coming from, you know, mm. the emotional and political and social spheres. Yeah, we reach a kind of threshold, right? Where you, there's only so much bad news and kind of animosity and people shouting at each other and <laughs> tension in the home and what, whatever it is that mm. adds up to our perception of what's going on, right? If that's already there, mm. then on top of that, a couple of mosquito bites, bites can be like, oh, for God's sake, you know, it's, it's like the last straw. Everything yeah. feels like the last straw for about halfway through the day, right? If, you, if you're not managing that yeah. internal sense of discomfort. And what it feels, and what I, so what I know intellectually is that building my physical capacity to mm. tolerate and welcome discomfort actually increases my mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual reserves. Yeah. But in the moment, it feels like just another last straw. Yeah. Like I've been, you know, I'm so miserable. Why do I want to get in a cold shower today? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a big problem. It's, it's funny that running these um, stress proof courses that I'm doing that I've been doing online um, for groups just over the past couple of months. Um, it's been interesting to see the split in people going through them and then coming out at the other end, right? Um, in which half the people well, less than half the people do the work and they get to the end of it having done all of the work. And, and the results are like, this is incredible. I'm sleeping again and my migraines have gone away and I don't feel like I'm in so much pain and my eating patterns have returned to pre-COVID. You know, <laughs> like not perfect, but not jamming donuts in your face every, every three hours like clockwork or something, right? Um, and then half the people on the same course, given the same material, are just not doing the work. They're like, it, it feels like too much. It was overwhelming. And I can't commit to 10 minutes a day of reading something or lying down and breathing mm -hmm. or like doing a specific movement exercise or something like that. Like, I just can't. It's too much. And I'm like, really? Because you probably dedicated at least 90 minutes today to Facebook and arguing with people and, you know, like checking on news every second to see what's going on. But if you can't carve out that 10 minutes. So there's, there's a part of me which is a little bit kind of unforgiving and doesn't quite have enough empathy mm. for, for the state that people are in. But there's another part of me which is realizing that Yes, I'm like that some days. You know, I haven't been 100% consistent. There are some days when I'm like, yeah, I just owe it to myself to take a day off and slob out a little bit. I'll still do my breath work and I'll douse in the morning. 
And then the rest of the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm not teaching today. I'm not training for anything special. I can, I'm just going to sit and read, or I just like plow through these things or learn this thing on the guitar once I'm done with my work. Um, and I'll notice at the end of those days, even though I was doing things that are ostensibly relaxing, doing things that I feel like would relax me, um, because I haven't pushed myself to do anything genuinely uncomfortable, I don't really count the douse as uncomfortable anymore. So it's just, uh -huh. just part of the routine that happens in the morning, right? But at the end of that day, I can feel snippy or I can feel annoyed by mosquitoes and stuff like that, right? And then I have to kind of pull myself back around again. And, you know, there are on days and off days. And I, you can see cyclic patterns to it sometimes, almost like, you know, larger um, circadian rhythms. You know, it's like during certain parts of the day, you can get um, irritable. And even during certain parts of the month, I've even found like these longer pulses and these longer rhythms. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm interested in what that says about us and how we live our lives and what it does. But I think one of the things that's come back to me is that there's lots of ways that you can try and mitigate those feelings, right? When you understand that you're not coping well, right? Um, and you might, maybe you fell back on running or running really hard or doing weights or there was something else that for you was, was stress relief, right? Um, but I've really seen quite a sharp distinction between the people that have fallen back on those things and then still done their running angrily or still done their weights angrily. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, they feel physically worked out, but their blood pressure was up before they went in. It was up during. And then afterwards, there's no real tail off. They feel exhausted and they might sleep a little bit better that night for having done it. But it didn't really give them the reprieve that they need from this ongoing that's, barrage of semi-discomfort. That's, that's so interesting because I was talking to a coaching client a couple mm. days ago mm. about stress. Yeah. And he was saying that when he runs really hard, which he'll do on a regular basis, like, you, you know, he's a like, you know, char hard charging CEO mm -hmm. type. Sure. Yeah. And so he'll, he'll run hard. Yeah. And he says, like, that's the moments when his rage thoughts yeah. really come up. And I think, oh, that's so weird, because, like, I run mm. to kind of get rid of all the, sure. the thoughts. And he's like, that's physio like physiologically yeah. working himself up stressfully mm. uh, on a physical level is yeah. the setting the table mm. for all of the rage thoughts, yeah. all of the judgments. And I'm like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, I, I think it can. It can be that it can bring your body up to the level that your mind already thinks is at, at, at a fight mode. And then that's fine as long as you do something on the tail end of that to bring yourself back down again. I'm not like um, disparaging running or any form of exercise, really. At, at this stage, almost anything is better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if, if you're a runner, now's not the time to be doing hill sprints, right? And, and really trying to beat your own personal record or something like that. Now's the time to run at a pace that you, can, that you could talk to other people or that you could sing at. Right? Mm -hmm. And then do that for a while until you feel like the breath that's coming in is light and full and easy. And then basically with the running, you've worked your body to the extent that it feels like it's doing what's worth the stress that was put on it. Um, but the tail off at the end of it, the feeling was that you did it and you were happy about it. Not that you did it and it's like, well, I, I got it done and surely that'll work. Right? It's a, if, you, if you approach the, the exercise that way, and it, any kind of exercise, doing martial arts or anything else as well, right? If you approach it, or even playing the guitar, right, or something, if you approach it with like, after I do this, I'll feel better, damn it, right? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really work the same way. You have to genuinely let yourself settle into it and allow your body to experience what it is, right? And be happy while you're doing it, right? Actually stay with it long enough to be happy with it, right? Not just get it out of the way and then be like, well, that's my reps done, that's my miles done for the day, that's my practice. Because otherwise it will just feel like one more thing that you had to cram in today on top mm -hmm. of emails and dealing with bills and everything else that's panicking people right now, you know? So it's, it can't feel like something else that you had to do. It has to feel like something that you want to do yeah. in order to get benefit from it, I think. And I'm mm. struggling with how to 
make that decision or that choice because I think mm. about yoga like right now my back is really jacked yeah um, running does not help it sure and so I can you know do foam rolling and things but I know that a daily yoga practice mm. of cer certain types of movements would really help yeah I love the idea of yoga and mm. every time I've ever done yoga I'm always looking for the wall clock okay is it over yet are we at Shavasana yet yeah and I would love to be able to change my relationship yeah. with it but it doesn't it doesn't feel possible it feels like i just been yeah. lying to myself so, so one thing for that that might be helpful rather than just kind of talking platitudes about general ideas of things to do something really concrete um i don't i don't do yoga but i do extended positions of like lying down in the equivalent of a yoga plow position right through systema mm -hmm. kind of rush, russian yoga almost kind of that way yeah. right and putting yourself in positions where you're tense or twisted up and then finding comfort in those positions um, I know some schools of yoga have that emphasis, and some don't, right? Some are focused on the flow, some are focused on the mental state, wherever it's going to be. But one thing that I found is that if I'm timing myself, if I'm like, I'm going to do 20 minutes of this, or I'm going to stay in this push-up position for like five minutes, wherever it's going to be, like, it's, it's the longest five minutes you'll ever have. You're like, <laughs> when can we be done with this so I can feel better or something like that, right? Mm. But I know we go on about it again and again, but if you, if you switch the focus and just treat it like a breathing exercise, you're not like, I'm doing yoga so that I can stretch my back and reset my muscles and make it feel better. You just basically start yoga, but you're like, everything that I'm doing is just to allow me to breathe better toward mm. that injury or toward that tension, right? So regardless of the pose that you're doing, even if you're laying flat on your back and you're hardly doing anything at all, the focus is just on breathing towards it. And nobody is good enough at that, that you can skim it. So you just get into this kind of zone of focusing on the breathing and being like, okay, I, all right, I've just about attained relaxation now in this position. And then you move into your next position and it takes you a while then to get that. And before you know it, you've actually lost track of time because you were doing a lengthy breathing exercise, mm. right? Instead of going like this pose, this pose, and like, oh man, I hate this one. And then yeah. you know, moving to something else. And I find that with stretching. I don't enjoy stretching uh, and I'm not particularly flexible. I've got good mobility in some bits of my body, but, um, and that other people don't have if they don't do Sistema or belly dance or something like that, right? But I'm not like classically flexible in that I'm, you know, with my hamstrings are still pretty tight. I can't like hinge at the waist and touch my forehead to my knees, you know, like with uh -huh. straight legs and stuff like that. So I, I do have to put work into that and I stretch and I hate it. I do not enjoy stretching. So the only way that I can get myself to do it is it's like I'm doing a breathing exercise with stretching and I get myself in that position and I start to lean towards my knee to get the hamstring stretched. And then I'm just like, okay, breathe in. And I'm going to tense, tense that up even more than it is now and make it suck worse. And then I exhale, relax, and then see if mm. any more movement comes with that relaxation. And then I follow that a little bit. And I do that five or six times. And by the time you've done that five or six times, you've been hanging out there for like two, like a minute or two minutes. And that's mm. a long stretch for most uh -huh. people, right? And most people would just go, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, and then let it go. So you can breathe your way into taking more time with anything. And the same is true of running. Even that simple exercise of gear shifting when you're walking or running. If you're going for a walk or going for a run, you might time the exercise by how far you've gone or just the route that you're on, right? But instead, if you just go, you have no idea of a destination. You have no idea of the pace. You have no, uh, you know, you don't really care if you follow the same path. And you just start stretching your breath, one in, one out, two in, two out. And you stay on each of those breath phases for as long as it takes for you to feel bored and bored and happy with it. Then you stretch your weight gradually and it might take you like, five minutes to get all the way up to 10 in 10 out or 12 in 12 out on that basis. But by the time you've got up there, you are fully relaxed and you can enjoy it. And then you can go for a longer walk or a longer run and you're having a happy time with it at that point. But if you just set out to keep a certain pace or do a certain route mm -hmm. and then you're done, it, it's too clinical for me. It's like, you know, so your context is important. 
how you're feeling today is important to how you're going to approach the thing that's going to make you feel better. And some days you need to go light, and some days you can afford to go harder. And you've got no other barometer for that than breathing. Like breathing is the thing that will show you that, right? Maybe your heart rate variability monitor, right? Those help, but most people don't mess with those. Right. But what I like about breathing, what I like about what you just said, of course, it reminds me of, you know, all these things I already know. Sure. Um, So right now I'm studying um, a a therapeutic approach called ACT, which is uh, Mm. acceptance and commitment therapy, which I'm finding just really brilliant and, and simple. Yeah, you mentioned that before. Can you describe that once again? Because I think we talked about it a couple of podcasts ago, and it was, but we didn't go deep on it. What, what's the idea? Yeah, well, the, the idea is, um, I mean, it's so simple. It's, it's essentially that when we are fused with our concepts, with our emotions, with whatever, then we can't, we have, we're inflexible. Mm. That, well, that most of our problems are come from psychological inflexibility, mm-hmm. that we're doing the same thing that doesn't work, mm. and we're just trying to do it harder, faster, stronger, longer. Sounds familiar. Yeah, as opposed to separating from it, attaching to values instead of goals, mm. um, which I find just you know very, very beautiful addition to my coaching. So sure. we said, okay, right, because, okay, I'm, you know, my goals are in the future, Mm. And my actions are in the now, but my values are also in the now. Mm. And so he talks about like the, the three continuum where of, of like a psychologically flexible person is, you know, here versus there, now mm. versus then, and I versus you. Okay. And breathing is the thing that brings us into here, now, and I. Mm. So like, yeah, heart rate variability monitor, but it's still external. Sure. Like yeah. breathing is like the interoceptive process mm. and that you know there's, there's almost no coaching that i do mm. that doesn't involve breathing yeah and and you know i, I started teaching a coaching course last night and mm. someone someone's issue was covid snacking mm. right food between meals wine at night coffee during the day yeah and like where coaches are trained to go is well where what's the access Hmm. you know how can we you know reduce the the triggers Hmm. and and we talked you know we talked about the fact that okay before before the food comes this the playing you know solitaire on the phone and Hmm. and it's all about not wanting to like this generalized anxiety not wanting to feel it Hmm. and so at that point it's like oh like let's describe it Mm. And in the body, it felt like said it felt like I get tense and I can't breathe. Mm. I'm like, ah, let's turn that around. Let's mm. start with you're not breathing and therefore you get tense. Yeah, right. Pulling directly from polyvagal. Sure. Yeah. So I love like when I'm breathing, I'm present. Yeah. And I'm connected to myself, which means I have the capacity to connect to others. Yeah. So I love that. I'm, thank you for reminding me. Hi, folks. Glenn here. As Systema for Life approaches its 100th episode, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. I also need to ask a quick favor. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema for Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all, but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast more than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. 
We have no paid advertising, and we do it all off our own backs with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our troubles. So visit ncsystema.com support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign up and you can cancel at any time. Yeah, no, yeah, this, that, that's the key, right? It's the difference between knowledge and application, right? <laughs> the wisdom to apply in context. It, it seems like, I, if it's all right with you, right? So we're in this beautiful place. We have this opportunity and we're talking about the ability to connect with ourselves and then with the environment outside, right? Do you want to take like five minutes now just to do a, like a breathwork yeah. connection exercise, yeah, right? Totally. For those who are listening and they're like, no, oh, I just want to listen to ideas about Systema, you can fast forward or whatever. But if you want to do it with us, just try and find a place. Yeah, don't tell them they can quiet. fast forward because then they can start fast forwarding through the ads. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, send us your money. Right. We need, we doom, need help. Doom, yeah. doom, doom, doom. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, so just try and find a quiet spot if you don't have one. Um, and you can do this standing or you can do it sitting down, but with your back straight, right? You could even do it sitting in a chair if you're listening to this like podcast and you're at work or something like that. But see if you can find a quiet spot where you're not going to be interrupted for the next five or ten minutes. And then just feel the points of contact between yourself and the surface that you're on, right? So if you're standing, it's all in the feet. If you're sitting in a chair, you've got your hamstrings and your bum and maybe the back against the backrest if it has one. Just feel that contact and then just pay attention to the weight of your body. That's all you want to do to start off with, right? And then start to breathe light in through the nose and out through the mouth, as usual. But just as deeply as your body will allow you to right now. And if that's not very deep, that's where you are. Acceptance, right? You can't breathe very deep right now. The chest is tense. The ribs are tight. It's not going down there. Don't force it. Just hang out in the light, shallow breathing place. And then almost in an exploratory way, see if you can pull that light breath up the nose via the top of the head and towards the throat and the back of the neck and maybe towards the collarbones. So it's like it's gradually gently filling and inflating the upper part of your chest and your head and neck, just kind of washing the brain, washing the tension from your neck muscles. And as you do this without much effort, you might just start to feel things relaxing up there, right? Your trap muscles might start to flop. Your jaw might relax a little bit. The face might start to relax. And then just pull it down a little bit deeper. So again, up the nose, top of the head. And now try and fill a very thin balloon behind your breastbone, behind your sternum, inflating the chest not just forwards, but also backwards, separating the shoulder blades, pushing them apart, and breathing into the armpits. Shoulders get heavier. Hands start to fill with blood. You might feel the pulse in your hands at this point. 
and then pull it a little bit deeper into the belly. Try and inflate the solar plexus a bit below your sternum, but above your belly button, above the navel. Try and inflate that bit specifically when you breathe in. And now inflate that and allow the ribs to separate and move upwards and outwards as you breathe in and out. For the shoulders, the chest, the collarbones all stay down now. They're very heavy, like a lead blanket around the inhale. And the breath is kind of moving horizontally, spreading the ribs apart, filling the middle of the spine, middle of the back, middle of the torso. And now breathe towards the belly button and towards the love handles or obliques out to the sides. Breathe into the lower back. Try and inflate the muscles either side of your spine in your lumbar spine region. Have them expand backwards into the backrest of the chair or just out behind you. And now breathe into the part of your belly that's between your navel and your pubic bone, between the navel and the groin. Try and expand that down and forwards. And even into the pelvic floor, so your undercarriage is kind of expanding towards your feet or towards the ground. You might even feel the hips being pressed apart as if there's two halves to your hips and they're separating. And see if you can breathe down through your legs, past the hips, through the knees, all the way to your feet and your toes. See if you can feel your blood pressure or your pulse, and just take note of where you can feel that most strongly. Is it in the throat? Is it in the temples behind the eyes, the hands, the chest, the belly? Feel the pressure increase in the whole body now as you breathe in, like the breath is filling the whole container of your skin equally, all directions. and just take in the information that that brings, the additional awareness of your internal environment. Now keep that state, open your eyes if you have them closed, and just take in the world around you now. Flick your attention from the inside to the outside. Don't fixate on anything, don't focus on any one object. Just kind of relax your eyes, defocus them. And take in everything 360 degrees, like you're taking in your peripherals at the side. Even trying to kind of have eyes in the back of your head, like you're trying to see what's behind you. Right? Have a feeling of doing that. Take in shapes and colors and lines as if they're all just part of one dump of information. Nothing special about any of it. 
And now do the same thing with your hearing. Try and wrap your hearing around yourself like a bat, like you're mapping your whole environment. Here we've got you know, cicadas and squawking birds and the occasional turtle plopping into the water. Where you are, it might be humming traffic, the whir of an air conditioning unit, whatever it is. Don't focus in on any one sound. Just kind of make your hearing dissipated as if you're trying to listen in 360 degrees behind you, in front, above, to the sides. Imagine that's the only way that you could engage with the world. Now try the same thing with smell and taste. Kind of draw in the breath and try and scent everything. Not sniffing for a specific aroma, but just taking in any number of smells and scents that might have been left here. Like a dog, right, might map the world with its nose. And if you can't pick, out, pick anything out, don't worry about it. Don't try to. Just breathe light and let the air move across the wet membranes on the inside of your nose. And just see if any sensations come. They might not even be specific labels of smells. You don't even really want those. You just want to notice that there's something there. Might be the taste of toothpaste or whatever you had for breakfast, coffee. And now to touch. Refocus on the points of contact between your body and the ground, or the chair. Also become aware of the exposed areas of skin, air currents moving across them, differences in temperature. Feel the clothes on your body. If you have jewelry or eyeglasses, see if you can feel the pinch or the dangle of jewelry. Feel where the clothes are stretched tight and where they're loose, just kind of hang on you. And now try to take all of those sensory inputs in at the same time. So 360 vision, 360 hearing, 360 smell, and touch from every angle. And having done that now, lose yourself temporarily. Forget that you live in your body and it just extend your awareness out into the world and see if you can feel, if you're in a room, feel the corners of the room, the walls, the ceiling, the edges of the floor that you're standing on or sitting on. If you're outside, extend your awareness to whatever boundary there is, like trees, the sky. You're not in your body anymore, right? You're part of a larger whole. It's almost like you're looking at yourself from the outside in. And then just see if you can blur the lines between you and that environment. You can feel yourself, but you don't have to try. And you can sense the world around you because that's all there is. What you're thinking about and what you're worried about is no longer that important. You're just here. feel heavy, should feel fairly empty of thought. Now just a couple of times, breathe a little bit shorter and faster. Breathe some energy into yourself. Inhale, tense up a little bit.
exhale, relax into your environment again. And then one more time, breathe in to fill your whole body. But imagine you're breathing in from the environment into your skin, through your skin. And when you tense up, it's just a thin layer of tension, just a shell around that pressure. And then breathe out, relax your muscles, move your legs a little bit, walk on the spot, twist in your chair, breathe however you want to. That's it. How do you feel? Ooh, what, what do you mean by you? <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> nice. I, I think it's an interesting exercise. I learned that one from um, Jamie Lepiet, who's uh, one of Vladimir's students and Michael's students, hmm. who spent a lot of time in Moscow. Um, and he ran an online seminar a few months ago called um, Expanding Through Your Awareness. And it was just two hours of, of that, of just losing yourself, feeling what's going on. And then interestingly, when you do push-ups or work, um, everything feels light and very, very easy because you're not so focused on yourself and your experience of doing push-ups, right? Mm. So it's almost like sometimes we can worry too much about what's going on inside and pay too much attention to managing things. Um, and this gives you that state where you're kind of, you're handling things while you're kind of aware of everything else at the same time. And somehow that just makes everything flow easier. I know mm. it's difficult to describe, but once you find the state, it's unmistakable. It's like, yeah, and I, I want to translate that into the act work that I've, that's been on my mind, yeah. which so um, basically talks about six different pivots mm. from inflexibility to flexibility. And probably the core, the first one, probably yeah. the core, is from self-concept to more of a flowing consciousness. Mm. And the idea is that, that we create self-concept because of a yearning to belong, mm -hmm. to a yearning for connection. And so self-concept is, am I good looking enough? Am I smart enough? Right, what kind of mask do I have to put on? Mm. And so, you know, in that inflexibility model, the very things we're doing to have connection and belonging are blocking it. Mm. And so that our, our model, we have a model for connectedness, which is our consciousness mm -hmm. when, it's, when it's flowing. And so yeah. this exercise was like the 10-minute the shorthand mm. into this entire um, therapeutic way of thinking. That like, okay, what I really like, well, I'm, I'm struggling to cope because I'm feeling disconnected from the world right now. I'm yeah. feeling disconnected from, literally, from the world because of yeah. COVID. Hmm. I'm feeling disconnected from my family because we're at loggerheads in this very difficult time. Yeah. And, and I come in screaming and shouting and pouting and demanding, and I'm disconnected from myself because I know that that's not who I am. Yeah. And so and this exercise just, you know, really stretched all of that to the point where, you know, I wasn't in, you know, say, you're, you're one with the environment. Mm. And I, you know, I don't think I quite got there. Like, there was a part of me going, oh, you're not doing this right. Sure. Right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but that was also part of the environment. And yeah. It wasn't the controlling voice in my head. It wasn't the me that was speaking. Yeah. It was, it was in the container of my awareness. Yeah. So thank you for Excellent. that exercise. No, yeah, it seemed relevant when you were talking about the act thing. I was like, yeah, I think I have something for this. This yeah. is like similar. You know, it's like, yeah, cool. Okay. And so, so there's one thing actually that, um, so we've talked about, a little bit about dealing with the somatic fallout of what's going on, right? And we've kind of, in previous podcasts, like the beginning of COVID, like partway through, and then back, you know, seven months down the line, that was as we are now, we can keep kind of flogging that horse, right? That you really do need to deal with the somatic effects. And it, it kind of begins and ends with what's going on in your body, right? From the neck down. But I think, I think it is worth talking about sometimes that how you think about things and how you engage with people and how you talk to them is 
is important because it frames it frames your entire experience of the world and if you're continually framing things in a way that's not healthy it feels like your entire experience is combative mm -hmm. right that it's you versus the world and i think that can lead us away from this state that i'm feeling now which is great you know just hanging mm -hmm. out and there's falling leaves and there's baby terrapins crawling along the you know, pebbles and things and, and it can push us back into like well who am i why am i under attack mm -hmm. um why are my views important for people to know right and it can push you back inside to the extent that you have to do a lot of this somatic work to undo that work right so i think that the somatic work is paramount but then if you continually kind of wade into the morass of bad ways of thinking about things and bad ways of interacting with people, you're kind of setting yourself up for having to fix yourself constantly, like all the time. So you can, and I, the analogy would be somebody who you know does a yoga class or meditates for like an hour in the morning and then immediately checks Facebook and reads a bunch of news and then by lunchtime it's as if they never meditated or did anything. Like they've got, rage is renewed and they've found themselves again and everything they believe and why it's important, you know? And I've, I'm including myself in this bracket of people who suffer from this, and I've seen mm -hmm. it go in peaks and waves, and I've rage posted on Facebook, and I've, you know, I've seen, read I've the seen, news yeah, for too long. Yeah. I've seen some of your recent comments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. At, at this point, I'm just losing patience with some with some people and some comments, but that's yeah. the way it is, right? But it's but I think a path back out of that sometimes, if you genuinely want to engage with people, and some of the people I'm talking to online, I don't want to really engage with them, and I'm just learning that there's no point and we should just drop those things anyway. Right? Yeah. There's no convincing somebody of a belief that they have. Right? If they believe it strongly enough, it doesn't matter what kind of argument you come up with, it's gonna stay there and your belief will stay there too. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but in the in-betweens, the, in the in and particularly when we're talking about talking to people that we know and love, not to random assholes on the internet, right? the people mm -hmm. that we genuinely care about their opinions, we genuinely mm -hmm. care about our relationships with them, we can even get into that with them if we're not careful, right? We can get into ways of framing the relationship and the conversation that don't help, right? Well, I, I find that I bring the relationships with the people that I'm not into relationship with yeah. into myself all the time. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, those, I, I, well, I'm right, yeah. right? Like, politically, I'm certain that I'm correct yeah. and that all these other people are incorrect. Yeah. Um, and so that already puts me, like... I'm, I'm in relationship with them in my mind. Hmm. And so, you know, if I'm right, then somebody else is wrong. If somebody else is wrong and I keep reading about it and thinking about it and seeing it on the news, hmm. then I'm constantly in a, in a state of vigilance. Yeah. Um, over my, you know, which is, which is so tied to identity and self-concept, hmm. right? It's not like, you know, scientists can have arguments and, yeah. and they're beautiful. Hmm. Sometimes. Right. Yes. <laughs> they, right. Well, the, you know, the archetypal sure. science debate. Yeah, the idealistic a, one. Yeah. It's a lovely yeah. thing to watch, and sometimes yeah. you see scientists who disagree working together on a paper. Sure. Right. It brings tears to my eyes. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Where where the ego is not locked into the need to be right. In fact, being proved wrong is like a virtue. Of science. It's, yeah. it's like it feels great. Like oh yeah. my god, I was sm I was stupid. Now I'm smart. Like sure, oh, yeah. what could be better than that? I've saved myself years of going down the blind alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yet when you know, but that's when it's tied up with my identity, hmm. right? Like I like I go you know, and I see that in some of your posts and responses as well. Like in order for me to be a good person, hmm. I've got to beat this drum. 
Yeah. Like if I don't, if I let that go. Yeah. If I let that ob objectionable, racist, homophobic, sexist comment go. Sure. Then I'm a bad person. Sure. Yeah. You feel like a responsibility to. Otherwise, oh. you can be viewed another way. Like, and interestingly, I've even had a couple of people contact me um, in my capacity as somebody who runs a podcast, which is to whatever extent influential. Right. It's not like I've Joe Rogan. I've got like millions of people listening, but there's a significant. Mm chunk of people who practice stammer that listen to this and enjoy it. And I get loads of emails of people saying, this is great, and it's good to have this resource and people talking about it, and that's all I ever wanted for the podcast, right? But I've had a couple of people saying, you know, why aren't you talking more about Black Lives Matter and racism? You know, why aren't you taking a stance? Like, you, your silence is deafening, you know, mm. like, like the kind of this way. And, and my simple response on it was that I don't feel knowledgeable enough to profess on, those, on some of those subjects that I'm still learning and trying to understand and and contextualize them myself, right? So it's not that I'm retreating from it in cowardice, it's just that I don't feel like I can profess on those things to any useful degree to somebody else. And I wouldn't want my ignorance to lead somebody down a bad path, right, that way. But there is that idea that's like, but it hit me and I'm like, man, I, I kind of, I do have a responsibility to, to address those things and at least not stay completely silent on them, to like have a position rather than be like, mm. I, don't, I don't mind, you can believe whatever you want. I don't, I honestly don't believe that. Right. It's a, I know it's like a trope of American culture and freedom of speech and all those things that it's fine to each their own. Everybody can believe what they want. But that also enabled Nazi Germany. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of like allowing certain ideas which are antithetical to the survival of a society or a part of it is a, is a difficult thing. It's a dangerous thing. And it's hard to know where to draw the line. But you have to be able to talk about it. You can't just push it down and say, no, it's fine. Everybody can believe what they want. And there's no harm in that. It's like mm. some beliefs are contrary to, to human existence, unfortunately, right? Um, or at least human thriving and survival, I think, right? So it's a tricky thing. But um, I, I think one, one thing that really has really interested me is that there was a book that I recommended to you a wee while ago um, called mm -hmm. Sand Talk by Tyson Yonkaporta, who's like an um, Aboriginal Australian scholar, right, who grew up in bush culture and, you know, oral traditions and things and then also studied anthropology and sociology later at university. And so he kind of has both angles mm. on it. And the whole book, which is brilliant, I can really recommend it for people. And, but stick with it because it's the weirdest book you've ever read. Like the narrative is just so strange. And you, mm. you're not quite sure where he's going with it until you get to the end of the chapter and everything seems to resolve itself, like something mm. coming into focus in a camera screen. You're like, oh, wow. It's like nothing I've ever read. It's, it's, it's sideways from all of Western thought, right? So it's older than Plato, and it's older than the Aristotelian traditions that we've based most of our, even science on, right? It's very interesting. Um, and this, what he talks about in there is that different modes and ways of thinking, in, specifically in Aboriginal cultures, and not just Australian, but also in Native American and a few others that he's talked to and looked at. Um, and in that, there's one type of thinking called pattern mind, which is kind of akin to objective rational scientific thought in a way not with the scientific method and everything else in it but it values objectivity sitting back observing and then looking for patterns that suggest themselves in nature right repeatable patterns like eclipses or seasons mm. or certain things coming blooming at certain times in coordination with other things and then inferring things about the world knowledge about the world based on patterns that are not somebody's opinion right they're just there right mm -hmm. um, and this is the type of knowledge that we seem to value the most in Western culture, right? It's like, it's, it's distilled logic. It's, it's removed of the authority and the knowledge of the person who's telling you it. It just, the, the facts should speak for themselves, right? Um, but there's another kind of, kind of thinking which you contrast it with, which it's not mutually exclusive, um, which is called kinship mind. 
And in this, and it's represented by kind of like two circles, two dots, with like a, a thick line in between them. And it says that no knowledge is independent of the context of the speaker and the receiver. So it might be that you have some data on COVID, or you have some data on climate change, or you might have some data on um, racism as it applies to kind of law enforcement or something like that, right? And, but just because you have the data, it really, really matters who you are and it really, really matters who I am and what our individual life experiences are in order for that knowledge to be negotiated and something to happen. And that seems like an obvious trite thing to say. But um, people know, like if you're a law enforcement officer and you've been on the streets and you've been working for years and years and years and your experience of law enforcement is completely different than somebody else whose entire experience of law enforcement is watching YouTube videos, right? <laughs> that matters, that what you try to say to that person, how you start to argue, even if you have data, actually matters. They can be like, yeah, but... I see that data, but you don't know what it's like, right? You don't know the risks that we face and the kinds of things we've had to go through. And at the same time, the authority of the person who's giving the knowledge is important. If you just pluck that data from the internet, but you don't really know how to read statistics, or you don't really know anything about the, how that um, data was collected, you have no expertise to be sharing that. That's important as well, right? It, it doesn't just speak for itself. The relationship is important. And in, in this way of thinking, the kinship between us, the relationship that we have, is critical. We've, we have to establish who you are. We have to establish who I am, the basis for, for which we even come to this conversation. And then we start to kind of bounce little bits of knowledge backwards and forwards. And eventually we, we negotiate knowledge. But this is not the way that most people talk and think, and especially not on the Internet. It's more like I have a ball of knowledge and data. I'm going to throw it in your face. And then sooner or later you'll come to knowing that this is the correct way because this is the way. So it's not, there's no relationship, there's no kinship there at all. You're just throwing it into the void and presuming that everybody's a blank slate and if they could only look at it the way you're looking at it, they will know and they will understand. And this is all, all sides, both sides of the political spectrum, um, both sides of the BLM, police, blue lives matter, black lives matter debate. Everybody is doing this, right? And I include myself in this, in this as well, right? Uh, but I think it's really important to value both of those ideas the objective data and knowledge and patterns, just spotting patterns and saying, look, there's a clear pattern here, is really important, especially if you're trying to combat climate change or track the, you know, trace the path of a pandemic through a country. You need to have that objective knowledge, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. You have to acknowledge who you are and who you're talking to when you have these. And the internet, unfortunately, allows for a kind of an anonymity, which means you can abdicate responsibility for who you are and just throw things out there as if you're an authority mm -hmm. and then expect people to accept it. And what happens? it explodes and people get further and further apart on things that on issues that they could potentially negotiate if they were talking in person you know and that's that's a really interesting idea to me and the reason why i bring it up is not as like a cure to the world's ailments and the ills it's just that if you understand that then you might not wade headlong into the mistake of doing that stress yourself out roll mm -hmm. yourself up feel like you're existing in a combative aggressive environment and then have to fix yourself constantly using the somatic mm -hmm. techniques right you might be able to keep yourself in a lower boil if if you try and keep this wider context that you're part of something bigger including me and you while you argue or mm -hmm. while you talk it's almost impossible to do that on the internet and that's why i fall down the medium is almost designed to take you away from that right mm -hmm. but it's entirely possible to do it in person and i've done it in person many times throughout this throughout this COVID <laughs> shutdown, right? When you've met individual people and talked to things about people that you disagree, it's way easier when you're in person um, because you get those reminders that we're in a place and there's you and there's me and we're actually talking and you're reading facial cues of safety and reassurance and all those things. All of that is gone on the internet. 
So the simple solution might be just don't go on the friggin' internet, right? Stay off social media if you want to do this. But if you are going to, then understand what it's doing to you and why it's not working. I think that's part of it. To all our listeners and Systema fans around the world, NC Systema have moved all of our regular classes online, live streaming group classes via Zoom, most days at 6.30pm US Eastern Standard Time, plus daytime classes on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Sundays. Please consider this an open invitation for you and your students to join us for the duration of COVID, to come together online, and to keep our skills and our groups alive. Payment is on a sliding scale relative to where you're at and what you can afford. Visit ncsystema.com slash online to sign up today. Join us. Yeah, I mean, that um, the idea of relations reminds me of two um, disciplines. One is coaching, mm. where um, it's all about understanding the relationship and understanding, you know, tr- trying to understand where they're coming from. Because mm. everybody's world makes sense to them. Yeah. Right? Everything they do makes sense in their context. Yeah. And they, you know, on some level, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know why they're snacking. Yeah. But they'll tell you. Yeah. And they'll, and, and if they, and if you can slow it down, they'll hear themselves. Yeah. And start to understand what are the what are the root causes. Mm. Um, and so you know, coming at people with information, mm. like you know, in my plant-based community, we love to wield the facts, sure. and PETA brochures, and uh, yeah. the 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 two distal uh, LAD photos of the reversal of heart disease and, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to convince you. The China you. study and what we got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, the people who are effective are the people who at least are thinking uh, from other people's perspectives. But, it's, yeah. but, but, but again, in, in communication and in relations where it happens. Mm-hmm. And the other I'm thinking about is martial arts, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> Sistema is all about what I learned is that when it's combative, it's still all about the relationship mm-hmm. yeah. and, and, and sort of deep curiosity yeah. and at some level, deep respect for the organism. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's where the really interesting things happen in Sistema, right? Physically. It's like if you're thinking about showing somebody your skills or winning the interaction, right? It automatically kind of blocks your capacity for exhibiting and expressing Sistema. You've, you've already cut yourself off. You're already just performing some skills that maybe you learned faster through Sistema. Maybe you, you, know, you, you learn to box better and understand distance and timing and how to deliver weight with your hands because you use Sistema as a, as a vehicle for boxing better. Or maybe you grapple better and you can get somebody an arm lock or a rear naked choke easier because you understood the principle of that instead of just repeating the technique. But you're still not doing Sistema if you're attempting to apply it because you want to show somebody that you're better than them or they can win. You're doing Sistema when somebody comes to you, whether they're aggressive or whether they're not, you're open to the entire situation. You're seeing what's happening and you're allowing it to play out. You're allowing, you're observing, and then movements just manifest themselves. This is what Vlad and Michael talk about when they talk about natural movement. Like Natural movement is any movement that the body wants to make because mm. it's correct and it's um, proportional and it's appropriate right, for 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 the situation that you're facing. And, it, and it, was, it was funny to me when I started learning Sistema that they would use words like convenient. They'd be like, it's not convenient for me to punch the guy like this. You know, it's not, <laughs> I'm like, I've never, in years, decades of training martial arts before I came to Sistema, I never heard the phrase convenient to describe a punch, right? It's just like, if I move to this place, it's very convenient for me to reach out and I can hit him. And, but what they're saying is that is that it becomes easy and natural to do it. Whereas if you force yourself to exhibit a, a specific motor pattern in order to try and get a result, it might be the perfect pattern in a very limited mm. number of situations, 
but it's probably not going to be the one for right now because everything's always changing. You can't step in that same river twice, right? It's already mm-hmm. going. That, that moment has already passed, right? And, and I think great sportsmen or great athletes can sometimes harness some of this kind of flow state and this, this ability to see what's going on. And then they see an opportunity and they snap it, right? And they apply their technique in the perfect moment on purpose in order to chin somebody and knock them out or catch them in a grapple or whatever it's going to be. Um, or, you know, just read the moment when they have to start sprinting and, and overtake somebody in the Tour de France or, or <laughs> the last mm. bit of a 400 meters race or something, right? They're, through experience, through awareness, they know when to, they can turn on the juice and do the thing, right? But I think we're aspiring to something a little bit different, which is not even deciding to turn on the juice, right? It's that the juice is turned on for you. And it's extraordinarily difficult to do that in a combative situation. And I think it's also extraordinarily difficult to allow your awareness to steer you like in everyday life, reading the internet and arguing with people and going through what we're going through now with all the pressures that we have. But, but that's the work, right? That's what we're actually trying to do is not just apply a bunch of tools. Like I have this relaxation fix and I have this, this um, root exercise routine this morning and I always have my coffee at this time and I take these vitamins. And if all those conditions are true, then I can be relaxed or I can be happy and that kind of stuff. Instead, we're saying, I just need to accept everything that's going on, right? Accept that I have a part in how I'm perceiving it and that's going to shape the world in, in a huge, to a huge extent. And then for the most part, allow, observe, allow everything to play out, keeping that big picture in mind, and then correct actions, correct words, and, and correct decisions will suggest themselves. That's, that's the goal, I think, right? And yeah. that's hard. I mean, it's hard, hard work, but, uh, but it's worthwhile, I think. You know, well, I love we're having this discussion out here in nature, yeah. on the, ba- the banks of the gently flowing Eno River, yeah. where like everything, every, every organism, everything here is doing it. Yeah. Right? Like you and I are the only people struggling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the only, are the only entities, you yeah. know, within earshot and eyesight yeah. who don't just do it naturally. Sure. Like the trees, yeah. we saw a turtle, like everything is being itself. Yeah. And, you know, I would venture to say this is like pretty effing beautiful yeah like it's gorgeous here yeah um so i think you know i just want to put in a plug for like plugging into nature yeah um i find you know when i'm in front of screens when i'm in my office when i'm just in in the human built world Mm. um right because it is based on the pattern mind sure and the pattern mind is exists for control yeah Right, because it's very good. Okay, if I can predict the seasons and the eclipses, mm-hmm. then I can make predictions about the next one, and I can have control, and sure. then I can, you know, remove uncertainty from my environment. Mm-hmm. Whereas kinship mind seems to be all about like you know we know that other people are unpredictable, and mm-hmm. that moving through unpredictability mm-hmm. um, is a is that maybe a different form of of control. It's more of a relational or self control as opposed to trying to externally impose. Yeah. I, yeah, it's interesting. I'm just trying, that's just kind of settling on my brain there. And it's like, it's, there's not even control, right? It's, it, when, you get, when you get to that place, it's a kind of radical acceptance of what's going on that enables you mm. to relinquish control, mm. right? And actions still happen. You're not just becoming inert and not doing anything. But... The, you're motivated by the context in which you find yourself, not analyzing that context and trying to exert control over it, right? It's like mm-hmm. the, the desire for control goes away, 
but there's no desire anymore mm -hmm. to have to make sense of your environment. It just makes sense. Right. Well, right. if I, if my brain can process, you know, 50 bits a second or whatever, mm. and you know, you just took me through this exercise where I tried to sort of merge consciousness with all of creation. Mm. Like, there's a lot of data yeah. that I don't that I don't have access to when I'm trying to control from the ego. Sure. But if I'm if I'm figuratively or literally, I'm not sure which, mm. expanding my consciousness so that I'm, so that I'm, I don't need to download anything because I'm part of the cloud, mm. you know, then, mm. then the, the right actions can sort of just sort of suggest themselves mm. and arise. Excellent. Yeah. Interesting use of machine metaphors and putting that one yeah. across here. So this interesting is another form of mind uh, talked about in that book, which is all about um, the relationship between abstract and tangible knowledge and how metaphors are the only way that we can get between them and hold abstract and tangible things together in the same place. But we'll, uh, we'll mm. leave that for another day because that's going to be a big discussion. Of okay, well, I'm going to go get yeah. that book. Yeah, yeah, it is excellent. I can recommend it. I'll, th I'll throw it in the show notes. And if you start reading it and you don't like it, don't blame me. It might not be for everybody's taste in, in how it looks at things. But I would encourage everybody to give it a go because it's just sideways to everything else I've ever read. It's um, the analogy that he uses at the beginning is that in the past, anthropologists or scientists or sociologists have used the tools of Western science and analysis, pattern mind essentially, right? Um, as if it's, and he uses the, the symbol of like a, a flat hand, like a flat palm being held. Like this is all of data and screens and the printed word, right? And all of those things that we value so much, right? And they've used that to overlay, and you imagine putting your hand over the top of an outspread hand, um, hand, right, mm. outspread fingers over the top of the other one. So we look through the lens of this flat hand at the outstretched fingers of wide and diverse types of indigenous and uh, like ancient cultural knowledge, right, and being like, oh, this is quaint, this is useful, oh, we can get some ideas about this from for sustainability, and mm -hmm. this is really interesting in how they look after their old people, right, you know, um, yeah. Jared Diamond has done this, you know, and things like it, and the world before, and I can't, what's the title of that book again, where he looks at, um, I have to throw that one there again. It's about the world before us or something. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember now. It's, it's, it's basically cherry picking out things that mm -hmm. um, hunter-gatherer cultures get right that modern societies don't, and then right. being like, what can we learn from them? But that's using that kind of objective viewpoint to try and look at those. And in this book, he does the opposite. He flips those hands, and he uses the diverse different ways of even thinking about things to look at all of Western thought and culture as if it's as if it's an alien looking at all of Western civilization and saying, wow, that's weird that they all mm. think that way. That's weird that they all have science and that we're all committed to objectivity as if that's the most important thing. And I've never seen any other book do that in the same way. And it's, um, and it's uncomfortable at first because mm. you're not from that pattern of thinking. But after he starts to get across to the ideas that there might be other ways of thinking about this, then you start to kind of settle into the rhythm of the book and it gets very interesting. And, to, and by the end, I'm like, I need to start reading that again immediately. Yeah. <laughs> there are insights there I'm not even aware of. And even crossovers with, you know, ancient wisdom and thoughts that have come out of Mikhail and Vladimir's face that I'm like, wow, I wonder if that even predates Sistema and it's like ancient Slavic cultures or mm. ancient parts of the Caucasus that goes back from when there were Aboriginal peoples there, you know? This is so old. If a lot of these ways of thinking are shared between Maori, Aboriginal Australians, Native Americans, like people in like first contact cultures of Venezuela, if there's some shared aspects of what they do, it must have worked for a good 50,000, 100,000 years, right? So, and that was before everything that we've done since, which is only a couple of thousand years, really. Mm -hmm. um, and we've got a long way with 
our patterns of thought and what we have, but it might be worth bringing in some other ways of thinking in order to, to truly benefit from even the pattern mind thing that we have, right? That, that being fanatical, fanatical even about science or pattern spotting or objectivity can also lead to some dangerous dead ends, right? Mm. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about. So. Cool, I will read it post, post haste. Nice, Brill. Well, let's uh, continue our walk through the Eno. I think we'll have a nice rest of the morning from it. But it's, but it's been lovely talking to you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. <laughs>